0: Let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me, Father, I pray that uh, you would grant to us grace to hear your voice today and to believe all that you say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 6 and verse 14. I'm going to read through chapter 7. In verse 4, we'll get to all that, but I want you to see all of that. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please. This is the word of the Lord. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness... What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together. And to live together, I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. And I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing uh, with joy. Last week, I was rather abrupt, wasn't it? Last week, I'll give you a pause. Last week, um, I mentioned, and we mentioned from the scripture, that we're not to receive the grace of God in vain. That is... As receivers of the grace of God, we should realize and see its effect in our lives. If we don't, then we've received it in vain. And Paul said a danger for the church in Corinth and for us is when our heads are turned ever, as theirs were being turned, by those who preach a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different Holy Spirit. And he says if you begin to follow that which isn't true, there's a sense in which then you will not receive the benefits of having received the grace of God. So don't receive the grace of God. Uh, in vain, receive it wholeheartedly. Receive it completely. Receive real forgiveness of sins and live in the forgiveness of sins which is you always live knowing that you belong to the Lord. You're in his presence. He is your father. You are his child. You've been reconciled to him. He has nothing against you. He, he, he sings over you. He desires to, to, to bless you and to, to love you. And he'll discipline you, yes, but it isn't out of punishment or, or, or any of that. It's to train you, to help you, to bless you in all of this. He's working everything together for your good. know that, uh, that if you belong to him, all that is true, so receive, receive that That grace really, and Paul says that if you don't, to them, he says, if you don't receive me as an apostle of God, and thus you reject the gospel that I bring, you miss receiving the grace of God in all its fullness. So Paul defends himself, as you remember. He walks through his relationship with him, all that he had done for them. And, uh, and with a clear conscience, he says, I haven't done anything to put an obstacle in your way. Uh, so embrace me in the gospel. Don't follow those other teachers. Follow me, not because I need that, but because you need that, because I have the true gospel of God. And he says, if you do, here, here's what characterized me. What characterizes me is great endurance. We know the life that we presently live is this messy life where the kingdom of God has come, but we still live in the midst of the tribulations of the world. And the way that we endure that, the way that we persevere, is by receiving the grace of God and walking in it. since if you don't, if you're missing any piece of that, if you're not receiving all of that, then your perseverance it would be very difficult. But he says, I can endure even great afflictions with joy. As he describes his own life. Because I know that the Holy Spirit is working v- virtues in me that, that I can really love, even though I'm being hated. And he said, I can endure because of the power of God, because I have the weapons of righteousness i'm clothed in the righteousness of christ and he leads me as my good shepherd in paths of righteousness to live out this righteousness this right living if you will before god and that's a great weapon to have to enable me to persevere to endure in the life to which i have been been called and he says, though I'm dishonored, yet I know that God honors me. So I'm slandered in the world. I know that I have the, the praise, if you will, the affirmation of God. Even though people think I'm a deceiver, God knows I'm true. Even though I'm unknown in the world, God knows me. Even though I'm dying, God gives me life. Even though I'm being chastised, still I survive. Uh, uh, even though I, I know real grief and sorrow in the world in which I live because of people falling away, if you will, and people not believing and people hurting even me, He says, still I can rejoice even though I'm poor. He had nothing. He says, I'm, I make many rich even though I don't have anything that the world uh, thinks is of great value. Uh, I, I have everything I possess. He says, if you want to live like that, then receive the grace of God in its fullness. And then he says this, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, what is it that he means by that? Well, we know what a yoke is, and there's a number of ways in the Old Testament especially to consider this. In Deuteronomy in chapter 22, there's this wonderfully spiritually nourishing a verse that says, don't yoke your donkey with your ox. <laughs> I don't know what you do with that when you're reading in your quiet time. I guess you'd probably say, okay, finally I found something I can obey. Uh, <laughs> right? I can do that. <laughs> no problem there. Um, in, in the days of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Moses, of course, I was important but, but i suppose but, but but there's principles being taught in ancient israel and that is that that, that two things that shouldn't be united together don't unite them together don't yoke them if you will uh, together they they're not meant to be together and if they put together it will just it just won't work right so there's a sense believers and unbelievers in what sense if we're yoked together will this not work okay or, or secondly, in, in Leviticus chapter 19, the, this expression for yoked um, is translated from Hebrew to Greek in the Septuagint. You don't need any of that. It's a parenthesis. Uh, but uh, it's helpful, but you don't really need it. Uh, I learned that recently. Uh, but uh, And so parenthetically, it, it, um, it's translated in the Septuagint using the same word for yoked. But the point being... It, you shouldn't breed your ox and your donkey because then you get something that's neither. All right, and so um, Paul say when you unite a believer and an unbeliever, you get something that's neither, and you've compromised as the believer, most likely. So don't yoke, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Now we know, and it makes this confusing is that this isn't an absolute statement. That is to say that there aren't times that believers and unbelievers should be uh, together. That doesn't mean that when you see an unbeliever walking down the street or coming in the grocery store, you run the other way. If your if your neighbor's an unbeliever, you don't say hi. Or, or, or if your friend who's an unbeliever invites you to dinner, you don't go. I mean, uh, he's not saying that. There's something about this understanding of being yoked, being united, being bred, if you will, together, being joined together. There's an aspect of that that there isn't a compatibility at all between a believer and an unbeliever. There's much compatibility, obviously. We share humanity. We share similar needs. We need food. We need shelter. We need protection. We need uh, companionship. We're um, human beings. We share the earth together. Uh, here we are. There's a lot that we can find of common ground with unbelievers as as fellow human beings, if you will. But there's something, he says, profoundly Different in the believer from the unbeliever, that there's a sense in which they can never be, a place in which they can never be united and joined together. I mean, Paul, in, in, in fact, is pretty clear about this. For instance, in, in a kind of general way, in First Corinthians and in chapter 5, he's talking about discipline within the context of the life of the church. And, um, and he puts it like this. Verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter, that is in a previous letter to this one, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. <laughs> you can't, again, we're not, we're not Pharisees in the sense of you won't walk into or physically touch someone who isn't a believer, Right? So we're not separating like that. That's not the point of it. And so we know that we, 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 we live in a world filled with believers and unbelievers, as Jesus would put it, uh, the wheat and the chaff. And so we're all sort of growing up uh, here together. In fact, in chapter 7 of this letter, of First Corinthians, Paul writes, I won't read the whole text, but Paul writes to say that if you're a believer married to an unbeliever, And the unbeliever desires to continue to be married to you, stay married. So even if you're married to an unbeliever, it doesn't mean that you should separate yourself from the marriage, from that unbeliever. Now there's plenty in scripture that says that believers should only marry believers. Uh, This is, but it happens that believers can be married to unbelievers. It could be that you were both unbelievers when you got married and one of you becomes a Christian. Now, what do you do? Do you take this passage and say, well, then I need to separate from you because we shouldn't be yoked together. No, no, no. Paul says, no, no, that, that doesn't, that, that's not what I'm after here. That's not what I believe here. Uh, and so, so he goes on. And then in the context of just living in the world, even Paul writes of himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, he says, um, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. In other words, he says, I will adapt certain cultural expressions of life to be able to communicate to people and to be able to share my faith with them. So I'm not saying that there isn't anything here that doesn't tie us in some way together, believers uh, and unbelievers. In fact, again, he goes on in the same First Corinthians to talk about a situation where, where, where you've been invited to the home of an unbeliever for dinner, and they're going to serve you meat that had been offered to the idol at the pagan temple. Wow! Now, what should you do? He says, "Don't ask any questions about where they got the meat. Just eat it. Now, if you find out, then you it might be messy, but but if, just go ahead." And eat it. It Actually, this is going to become an increasing issue in the culture in which we live, as our culture diversifies and people from different uh, religions come, and all of that. In fact, in our own experience, uh, this was a couple of uh, almost three decades ago. Friends of ours who were um, Muslim had a funeral for uh, our friend's dad, and uh, we went. Actually, it was interesting experience, but. The next day, he brought us over some goat meat that had been sacrificed the previous day at the mosque. So we took it, and we didn't eat it. It wasn't because it had been sacrificed. It was because it was goat. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I think that was the primary reason. Uh, I wished it had been, you know, beef. but uh, But it wasn't, so we... We took it and uh, said thank you, and never discussed it after that. But but so this could become an issue even. And like, what do you do And this? Well, he says, go have dinner with them. Just don't worry about where the meat came from, and everything will be fine. And so so again, it's not this absolute uh, kind of kind of separation, uh, if you will. And even in chapter fourteen of First Corinthians, he talks about unbelievers coming into worship with believers. He doesn't talk about believers going into worship with unbelievers. Like he does and says, don't do that, because that's it. That's this sense. What don't we share? Well, we can share dinner. We can share all kinds of things. We can share business. We can share um, recreation. We can we can share uh, citizenship. We can share uh, uh, all kinds of things with unbelievers. What we don't share, what's really at the heart of the matter, is that we worship God, the true and living God. We are devoted to him. We believe that he's the only God. We believe that he's the living God. We believe that he's the one who defines our lives. We believe that he's the one who directs our lives. We believe that we should find our delight in him and the things which delight him and only that and nothing else. And and so if someone doesn't believe God, then we have to be Separate from them in the sense that we can't unite with them in what they worship. Because if we do, then we'll produce something that isn't faith in the Lord Jesus. That isn't what we might call the Christian faith. That isn't what is faith in the true and living God. That's the great danger here that he sees it was happening in Corinth where some believers would still be worshipping at the pagan temple. And, and engaging in all the events there. And he says, no, no, no. Don't you realize that when you're there, you're participating in that God. You're being linked together, joined together. No, no, you, you, you can't with your mouth uh, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, pay homage to Another God, that's simply impossible. Again, don't do that. Don't be unequally united. Don't be united in worship with those who don't worship God. And then all the derivatives, I suppose, in various ways and shapes Like that. His point, as he lays it out finally in chapter 7 verse 1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. In other words, we're to be separate so that we can be holy, and, and so we must continue to worship God and Him. Alone. And, and, and Paul takes us through these startling statements. And I, I think in verses 14 through 16, his point is not simply to be logical. It is because he's basically saying how absurd for us to think that we can worship the true and living God and at the same time dabble in worship of other gods. He says, you know, that, that's absurd. But, but he also wants this to be visceral. He, he wants us to feel The absurdity, he wants us to feel this he puts things together here. And he says, you know, these things don't go together any more than a donkey and an ox under a yoke. They they just don't go together. It's like putting mustard on ice cream, I suppose. It's like blah, right? Or or my friends from Chicago and I don't get this. You don't put ketchup on a hot dog. I know that. And I know if you say to a person from Chicago, I want to put ketchup on my hot dog which I've said in restaurants in Chicago, and they look at me like, oh, I don't understand that. But these things simply don't go together. That's silly, I know. But but look at these. Just kind of, let me just kind of shout these out for you. There's no, a lot of verbs are missing in the Greek text. But it says, for what partnership, righteousness with lawlessness. Because how can you put those two things together? How can you put righteousness and lawlessness together? What Fellowship, light, darkness. How can those two go together? If you bring light to darkness, it isn't dark anymore. If you bring dark to lightness, it's not light anymore. And so how can those two things be together? He says, that's what I'm talking about. What accord, what harmony has Christ with Belial? Satan, if you will. What, what portion? Believers with unbelievers. What agreement? The temple of God. With idols, he says. He says that's what we're. That's what, don't don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. He says something profound has happened when you become a believer. Something profound has happened through the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in us as believers. Something profound has happened. Uh, you know that. You know where I'm going with this. If you know me, you know I'm going to go to Ezekiel, and you know Ezekiel describes this profound change as a heart change, as a heart of stone being taken out and a heart of flesh, a live one being put in, a live one in the sense that once you were dead, stone heart to the things of God, now you're alive to the things of God. It's that dramatic. Jeremiah, has laws written on our minds and put in our hearts, a whole change of. Inclination, something has happened in the life of the believer because of the work of Christ and his spirit in us that 's what 's happened you see, um, and our sins are forgiven we 've been as you put it here earlier in two corinthians we 've been reconciled to God. Jesus would call it a new birth been born again by the spirit, a whole change. In our inclinations towards him. John in his first epistle would take that from Jesus, I think, and write it like this. That we've gone from death to life. Paul would put it that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. But now we've been made alive to God. It's that profound, that uh, dramatic. And, And so Paul says, when that's occurred... You now really see the things of God. You now really believe the things of God. You've been changed. All that's happened to you. In one sense, we're passive during that. And the activity in us is seen in repentance and faith as we receive this grace of God. And he said, that's what's really happened. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. Doesn't mean that we're better than unbelievers because all this was a work of grace. It doesn't mean that there aren't unbelievers who are nicer than we are. If you make your list of friends on the basis of who's nicest and who's kindest and all of that, uh, I suspect, like me, you'll have a mingling of believers and unbelievers in that. Uh, and, and so it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that the very core of who we are, in terms of what we believe, who we worship, is a profound difference. There just is whether we see it or whether we don't, and so Paul says, "I want you to I want you to feel this with me. How can how can righteousness and lawlessness be partnered together? and so you were once lawless, that is concerning the things of God. You didn't follow the law of God, and if you did, it was only because you approved of it and thought it was good, and so it really was your law, really, but not God's law. And in breaking it, you had no remorse to God, really." It wasn't it, you didn't think that you deserved any ill from him because you broke his law. Now you realize that you can only stand before God in righteousness. And you realize you haven't any, so you receive the righteousness that comes from Christ. That's the that's a huge difference. So we merge those two things together. And now it's your desire being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. To please this one, to live for this one, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15. To live for this one who died for us and rose again. That's a huge difference. A desire to live for Christ and Christ alone. No desire at all, really, ultimately. Righteousness and lawlessness. How can those two things together? A fellowship with light and darkness is the is the great contrast that we get to see every day. We get to see the contrast of light and darkness every day. God has arranged life in such a way that if you wake up at 2 in the morning and you go outside, darkness. If you uh, uh, wake up at 2 in the afternoon and go outside, uh, oh wait, students, college students will relate to this. Uh, you wake up at 2 in the afternoon, you go outside, it's light. And and we see that contrast all the time, every day, and he says, "Pure light, pure darkness, how can they go together if darkness comes in the light it 's dark, if light comes into darkness it's light, and so he 's speaking, of course, of the spiritual condition of being able to see the Lord and not. He expresses it, as you remember in two Corinthians chapter four uh, verse verse four, uh, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers who are perishing. Um, Uh, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. And so they're in darkness. We know that we were in darkness at one point in time. In fact, when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he actually puts it like this. He says, you were darkness. Whoa. That's your identity. You were darkness. You couldn't see, perceive, understand, realize anything true. About God. How did it happen that we were? Well, the gospel was proclaimed. And then verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Has shown in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. That's why I think Paul then would run in chapter 5. And say, we're new creations. Remember creation? God said, let there be light. We did that for you. He said, let there be light. So we could see. And he says, so we're in, we were in darkness, now light. Unbelievers are still darkness. How can, we don't want to share in their darkness. We don't want to be united with their darkness as the, in their understanding of God. It doesn't mean you can't read unbelievers as they talk about God, but you understand. No, that's wrong. That isn't true. Isn't it doesn't mean you can't talk to them. In fact, we must talk to them about these things. But don't share in it. Don't take it in and say I can take some of that and some of this and put no. It isn't that way at all. What accord has Christ with Belial or I'll go through the details? But let's just say Satan, the evil one, the opposition against God. He's, how can Christ and and Satan hold hands together? They they can't. He came, Jesus did, to destroy the works of the devil. The devil comes to steal and to destroy, but. Jesus comes to give life, and so so they 're not partners in that sense, and so and when I uh, think of of uh, churches that aren 't really churches, when I think of other religions that aren 't Christian um, I don 't always jump from what they believe to Satan, but Paul did he said, oh, I just want to let you suck air a little bit. That's, that's why. That, that, that's why. I remember years ago, we had neighbors who were, if this doesn't offend you, uh, Mormons, and, uh, and they had just come out with a pronouncement, this was in the 90s, that ministers, Christian ministers, were no longer going to be considered agents of Satan. And one member of my family, who's bolder than I, Uh, In discussing this with our Mormon friends said You should think he is You should think Bill is an agent of Satan (laughs) Um, And that's okay We can still be friends Uh, It was a little startling to them But you know We can still be friends Because you have to understand (laughs) That we think Joseph Smith was an agent of Satan Now I hope that doesn't hurt our relationship But uh, You know You can still borrow the salt And our kids still play together And all of that but let 's just be honest about this, we, we get it. We understand that uh, i 'm okay with that. <laughs> you know. Think of me as Satan because I really am in opposition to the God you profess. Um, I still like you i don 't know if that makes sense to you. I, I, I still like you, uh, but let 's just be honest about this. and, and, and so now don 't call up all your unbelieving friends today and tell them from Satan. Uh, but that isn't Paul's point. Paul's point is understand the situation, see it, and 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 when you think of Christ holding hands with Satan, th- that should that should that should distress you, right? When you think of lawlessness and righteousness, that should distress you. They shouldn't be together. And he says, well, that's, "What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever?" That's rather his conclusion, and it's all based on this one, verse sixteen. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And that is one of those air I think, statements in the scriptures when I think about it for me individually and for us corporately to realize that we are the temple of God because we know what that means. We know what that means. That God lives within us. That's was the temple. The whole temple Motif in the Old Testament was this is the dwelling place of God and He lives in His temple at the tabernacle before that and, and lives in the presence of His of His people. So you walk into Jerusalem, the key fig place there is should be the temple. And people get that's where God is. He lives He lives among us. And we know there are there are priests then who mediate the presence of God to others. And so we realize that we as 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 those in whom the Spirit of God lives, that God dwells, that we're a royal priesthood, as he puts it, and, and that we then share this truth of, of God through what we say in our lives. And it's that significant, if 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 you will, that this is who we this is who we are. Uh, Paul wrote of this in his first letter to them on a couple of occasions. For instance in 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 one Corinthians and, and, and chapter three Verse 16, he says, Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And the you there is plural. And so he says, you church, the the spirit of God dwells in you. You don't know what physical temple anymore, but a spiritual one, and you're the temple. People come into you and into your presence. It's as if they've walked into the temple of God. And so how can there be in your lives collectively in chapter 6 he says a similar thing first corinthians but in the singular in your lives even individually how can you unite yourself in that case with unbelievers with with or with prostitutes and Chapter six. How can you unite yourself in that way? How can you join yourself together with them? And, and the whole idea in 2 Corinthians is, is this ideal of idolatry. How can you, as as one who is the temple of God, allow idols to come into the church or into your lives individually or corporately? How can you do that? It says don't unite with those with those idols at all. And we know the temptation of idolatry. In their case, they could go to a temple and they could, they could see these carved images and they could participate in temple worship, which was almost always very sexually immoral and all of that. And so, so he said, don't, don't, don't unite yourself there with them. And, and yet we know that it's so easy for us to make something good into something ultimate in our lives and to worship it whether it's our need for security. We all have a need for security, but when security becomes the ultimate, and and that's what defines our life and directs us and we can only be happy when we have the security as we define it. And it's, it's an idol in our lives that's a danger. Or even our families. And we should love our families and be proud of our families and enjoy our families and all that. But when, when family, when our children or our spouses become so become ultimate to us, and they're the ones that ultimately define our lives, and, 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 and we do everything in direction from, from family life, and, and, and we can't enjoy the Lord uh, without that if it's ever taken from us. Ministry can be that way. People can, can have ministry as an idolatry. And when we, I know pastors who have heard of pastors. I don't know any. Heard of pastors who once they retire can't go to church anymore because they're not preaching. And I go, really? Wow. I can't wait uh, to listen to somebody else. You too, probably. Uh, but, uh, uh, I, I, you know, uh, I always say if, if I can't listen to preaching, I shouldn't preach. Uh, you know, if we can't we can't participate, then we, we, we shouldn't be leading if we can't be led. And so, so, or people who retire, there's grief in retirement. We all know that in various ways, but if, if your job it was your idol and you lose it and you can't then enjoy life after that, and even in the grief of losing, when we love, if we lose it, that even person and still can't worship the Lord, it tells us that perhaps even that person even if it was a wonderful person, even if it was a person we should love and did love. If that keeps us from worry. That's an idol to us. So you can go down the list. You understand. And he says, okay, you're the temple of the living God. Don't unite yourselves with unbelievers, the gods of the unbelievers. Don't do that. Don't do that. Separate yourself. Cleanse yourself. He says, because... And then there's this great expression. I haven't time to unpack it all. Maybe I should someday. But he says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God. It's from Leviticus chapter 26. All the way back. You don't know, think of Leviticus saying something like that. You should expect an animal to be killed here. Or some mildew expression about how we should not. Uh, on various laws that we wonder what they mean. But, 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 but here, even there, God is saying, Through this sacrifice and through the sacrifice of my son, ultimately, I'm going to be your dwelling place and walk among you. And I will be your God and you shall be my people, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, uh, says the Lord. That's the the, the, the prophets, uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah, saying that you were in captivity with the Babylonians. Leave them. And when you leave them, when you go back home, when you leave, leave the Babylonian gods behind, don't take the Babylonian gods with you. Don't be so united with the Babylonians that when you leave them, you take their gods with them. No! Come and and, and worship me and worship me alone. Don't touch anything unclean. In those days, in the Old Testament temple worship, if you touch something that was considered unclean, a dead body or something like that, you became defiled. He said, no, no, no. Don't you know that when you look to an idol, someone, something other than God, to tell you who you are, to direct your life. When you find delight. You praise. And you're made joyful. By something that God hasn't given you. And something that. Distracts you from looking to him. And giving him thanks. You're defiling. The temple of God. You've just. I've just. Brought in. To the temple. An idol. I mean, what would you think if this morning uh, uh, you walked in and there was this big statue of Buddha sitting here? You'd go, Bill, what's the deal? <laughs> Why is that here? You know, I don't know what other things you could put there, but but things that would be reminding you of other gods, if you will, other ways of thinking about God. You say, that shouldn't be here in this place. Well, it shouldn't be here in this place Either. And so that's his point. He says, don't you know that if you hang out with those gods, then you, you'll be receiving the grace of God in vain. You, you won't get it. You won't, you won't see it in its fullness because here's the real grace. In reconciliation, I'm a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so that we have these great promises. You see, the end result isn't that we should be sticking up our noses to unbelievers, but we should be fleeing to God. It isn't that we say, oh, I can't touch you, leave me alone. It should be, no, I, I, I need to flee everything that's of unbelief and I need to fly to God and cling to Him because He's our Father and, 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 and why wouldn't I want to be with Him and Him alone? Why would I want anybody else to influence my life other than him? Why would I ever want to worship anyone else other than him? Why should I ever want to look to anyone other than him? And he says, so, so come out Give these promises. Cleanse yourselves from every defilement, body and spirit, and bring holiness to completion. You say, all right, I get that. How do I do that? Well, what do I do? How, how, how do I keep from being defiled? How do I keep from being an idolater? How do I keep from being united with unbelievers in this sense of, 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 of having the gods of the unbelievers infiltrate the temple of God, infiltrate my life? How do I do that? And of course, we, we spend our whole lives thinking that through and helping one another. But, but I'll just simply lay this out. Here's, here's, here's it, the means of grace. How do you receive the grace of God? Not in vain? Well, you receive His grace by the means that he gives to us. He gives to us his word. Nothing complicated here, folks, so you've written this down before. Uh, His word. We need to listen to, read, study, have preached to us, discuss with one another his word. When we stop doing that on a regular basis, Then the ideas of our unbelieving friends concerning God come into our minds and into our hearts and we begin to think those are true thoughts about God. And so we need regularly, weekly, daily to be thinking through, reading through, the Word of God. Uh, We need to pray. We need to pray as the Scripture reveals to us that we should pray to the Father generally, through the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need not to think ever that we approach God in any other way other than through Jesus. Our praying reminds us of that. We use the formula, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, That's fine. But we only say it because it's true, not because it's the magic words. Uh, But we could say it at at the beginning. There's a book I have on prayer in my library uh, entitled, called Praying Backwards. They start with, in Jesus' name we pray, (laughs) Start there. We do. Now, so we know we come only in the name of Jesus. And that helps us, you see, because then I realize. I don't come in my own name. I don't come because I'm good. I don't come because I deserve to be heard. I come only because Jesus has made the way and I come in him. So it's a reminder to us and then a reminder of our dependence completely. Not on that God or not on that God or not on success or not on my family or or, or not on my friendships or or not on my uh, the the things I've piled up for security. I, I don't pray through those things. I don't come to God in the name of those things. I come in the name and I come for him to supply My need. So, prayer, and then we would say our our fellowship to hold one another accountable, to be in each other's presence all the time. If we lop ourselves off from the body of Christ, from the big temple, if you will, then what we find is uh, we, we find our way astray and we find our way yoked with unbelievers and their thoughts. And they're idols in such a way that it chafes us. And, and we don't know why. But we're just completely out of sorts and completely uncomfortable. And this thing isn't fitting right. And it's not working. And, and all of that. And, 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 and that's, we, we, we take ourselves away from fellowship, you see. And then the sacraments that he gives to us. He gives to us baptism. As we mentioned earlier. Uh, we believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. Not that baptism takes away our sins. But it's a sign to us. It's an authentic sign to us, a seal, we call it, from God that says, I want you to look at this water and I want you to realize what this means and I want you to see baptisms. You know, I think I want you to baptize your infants. If you're a believer and haven't been baptized, I want you to be baptized. I want, I want, this, I want water in that little bowl over there uh, so that we can see it because it reminds us that you need cleansing and that there is cleansing. And so as we see baptisms, the grace that's conferred, at least is this, that we realize, oh, yes, there is cleansing in Jesus' name. And so, so when you walk into a church like ours and you see the little baptismal font, uh, it should remind you of that and you should, yes, okay, this is where I need to be, where there's real cleansing uh, through, through Jesus. And our kids grew up, oh, they did that to me. I've been baptized. There is really cleansing through Jesus. And so that's why we do it. And then, of course, the table table that's before us. That we come here to know that we're in the presence of the Lord. We come here to know uh, that through Him, God dwells among us. You remember, what I read in the beginning, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Some of you know that the original language is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And you think about the old tabernacle in the Old Testament, the presence of God, the place of meeting, the place of God. And, and this temple, you see, is the Holy of Holies. It's, a, it's a, where God dwells. It's the very inter-sanctum, if you will, of the temple, the very place of God. He came and made his dwelling among us. When they looked at the temple, he looked at the temple. He said, if, he said, if you destroy this temple I'll rebuild it in three days and they thought he was crazy of course but his temple was the body he Jesus was the very temple of God he was God with us and now we are because we're filled with his spirit the temple of the Lord he dwells among us he really is here God Really, is here in us and among us and that we would know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took bread, he gave thanks he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and he said this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup and again after giving thanks this too he gave to his disciples and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood and that new covenant was that covenant where god said that he would be their god and they would be his people he would make his dwelling among them jesus saying this is it this is happening this is this is really it A new covenant in my blood shed for many for the remission of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. We're declaring that he's here, that he's come, that he's died, that he's risen, that there's forgiveness of sins for all who believe in him. There's reconciliation with God for all who believe in him. There's adoption as sons and daughters uh, for all who believe in him. That's real, that happens. And he comes and his spirit lives within us. And he really is here. He really is among us. And so when we come to the table, there's a sense in which, it's one of the nice things about coming to the table, there's a sense in which we're saying, I'm leaving the defilement of all these idols. And I'm coming to Jesus who is here to worship the true and living God. Cleanse me. Cleanse me. Separate me that I might really live. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for us that on this day, right now, For each of us. We'd get it. We'd see. The profound. The profound work of Christ. In our lives. By his spirit. No longer lawless. But. Righteous. No longer darkness. But. Light. No longer. Under the lordship of Satan, but now under the lordship of Christ. No longer an unbeliever, but a believer no longer worshipping in the temple of idols, but worshipping in the temple of the living God and being the very dwelling place of God. I pray that you would take this bread and this juice, separate it in such a way from its common use to this one that will enable us to really know what Christ has done, to know that by his Spirit he dwells among us and in us and is here with us and will go with us and be with us always. So please, I pray, In our coming, may each of us give thanks for the profound work that you've done through him and cleanse ourselves, that is, to dedicate ourselves to worship you, God, and you alone through Jesus by the power and the work of your spirit. This, I pray. In Jesus name.